leading us in worship this morning. I always appreciate your guys' musical abilities. A couple of brief announcements I wanted to make. First one, this was already mentioned, but we are having a Christmas party at our home on uh, December 14th, so that's two weeks from yesterday. And pretty informal. Uh, if you're not doing anything, just stop by. If you are doing something, cancel. No, um, don't. Um, yeah, we're excited about that. I'll be up all day baking. Uh, I won't be when I mentioned communion, we will be doing next Sunday, December 1st, and uh, yeah, it's one of the most important things a church does together is celebrate the Lord's Supper, so excited to, to do that with you guys, and uh, I'll send out another email this week to remind you, but next Sunday is when we'll be doing that next. Um, received an email from Pastor Trey yesterday, I guess this is something that we did with Grace last year, um, collecting... Christmas gifts for, for some of the kids in the community who, who are in need. And uh, I just want to get that on the radar right now. Like I said, I, I guess we did that last year and it was pretty, pretty well received from within the church, which doesn't surprise me at all. But um, so, yeah, we'll be collecting some, some names or some different uh, items that, that are in need and, and sharing those. So if you would like to, to participate, um, I invite you and encourage you to do that. And we'll have more information. I believe next Sunday. So just want to get that on the radar. Also want to mention again that if anybody ever needs to meet with me personally, always happy to do that. Always happy to, to find time. It's something that's certainly a priority for me. Uh, I do have office hours on Mondays and Thursdays, but there's plenty of times throughout the week where I'm also happy to, to meet with you. I might have a conflict with schedules in my office hours tomorrow morning. want to make a note of that. But again, just I've always got time for you guys. So happy to do that. Uh, and last thing, uh, if anybody happens to have a nail gun that we could borrow, um, we need to install a couple things around our house, and we think a nail gun would be probably better than manually nailing it for, for the project that we're working on. So just want to throw that out there. If anybody has one that we could borrow, it would be sincerely appreciated. And uh, with that, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day and for your goodness and grace. Lord, may we give thanks, just not just today, but every day, Lord, thanking you for your goodness and grace and for the gift of your Son and the salvation that he offers through his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, I pray for this holiday week. I pray for, for people who are traveling to or from Sister Park, for family who might be traveling up here. Lord, pray for safe travels. And pray for, for togetherness with friends and family for Thanksgiving, that it can be a time of joy. I pray for our time this morning, Lord, as we open up your word. And as always, I pray that it would be faithful to your word, honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. Father, I want to continue to pray for people who are in need of prayer. I pray for uh, Leonard as he continues to recover from his heart attack last week, Lord. And I pray for your blessings on him. Also continue to pray for Eileen and, and so thankful that she's uh, able to be back at home. But want to continue to pray for her recovery from, from her injuries. Lord, I continue to pray for Ellie and Bob Nilsson. Lord, uh, I pray for your nearness to, to Ellie in, in this time. And I continue to pray for conversations with Bob. And Lord, I, I pray for, for him. I pray for his heart. I pray for uh, Lord, you to, to work in his life. 
And Lord, I do pray for, for Ralph as he has this surgery tomorrow. I pray for the doctors as they'll be performing this surgery. Um, just pray for your hand to, to guide them in that and for, for healing. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, and that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Taking a break from the Gospel of John. I sincerely hope that that study has been edifying and been a blessing. Uh, My plan is to resume John, Lord willing, in February. Next week we'll be beginning a Christmas series. But today we're preaching a a standalone message from the book of 1 Corinthians. I decided to take a break from John now and not next week because mainly I didn't want to end in the middle of a chapter. And I thought the end of chapter 3 was actually a pretty, a pretty good stopping point for right now uh, to take a, a brief hiatus from John's gospel. Our passage in 1 Corinthians today is one that's very near and dear to my heart personally because it gets at some of the important ideas of ministry and evangelism. Spreading the gospel and making disciples is something to which all Christians are called. There is one gospel But there are many types of people, types of cultures, types of backgrounds. And we are called to spread the gospel. To have a concern for those who don't know Christ. And we meet them where they are. In our passage today, the Apostle Paul is talking about the ways he relates to different types of people. And the idea that Paul communicates is a good slogan for ministry. That he is all things to all people. And in this text, Paul focuses on how he became all things to three different groups of people. And with that, we'll jump into our text this morning. First, Paul talks about becoming all things to those under the law. Verses 19 and 20, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. A little bit of background. This isn't news to to many of us. Um, Paul begins writing about ministering to Jewish people. Paul himself had been raised Jewish. He had been a Pharisee. He believed in strict adherence to the law of the Old Testament. And in the early church, he was a persecutor of Christians. But then Paul came to know Jesus 
And everything in his life changed. Everything in his life was turned upside down by the gospel. And he became the greatest missionary in the history of the church. And so the first group that Paul's talking about in this passage, he's ministering to people who were Jewish, like Paul had been. For the Jewish people, they had the law. They had the Old Testament law. This included various ceremonial laws, various festival laws, various dietary laws. It included things like circumcision. Now, with Jesus, it was fine to participate in these things. But the issue was that people needed to understand that adherence to these laws was not a person's basis for salvation. And that is faith which saves. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, the Christians had been influenced by a group of people who were still trying to get them to live in accordance with the Old Testament. And Paul's purpose in writing Galatians is to emphasize that we are ultimately saved by grace through faith. Paul was respectful of Jewish customs. He, being someone who had been raised Jewish, for the sake of building relationships in certain circles, he would still participate in various Jewish customs. To give an example, Acts chapter 16 Timothy is a young pastor who's doing ministry with Paul. He's traveling with Paul. Timothy was not Jewish. But knowing that they would be traveling in some heavily Jewish areas, Paul actually has Timothy get circumcised. I was at a missions conference a couple of years ago, and one of the presenters was talking about barriers missionaries face in evangelizing Hindus in India. India has a billion people but only about 2.3% self-identify as Christian. And those numbers haven't really changed in about the last 50 years. Part of the challenge is that Hindus who convert to Christianity oftentimes make radical changes. Not simply spiritually, but external changes. Things like changing their names, changing how they dress. Essentially separating themselves from anything having to do with their culture. We might, look at it, we might look at that as a good thing. But is it always? If you knew someone and they started going to a new church and they started dressing differently and they told you that they changed their name, would you think, that's wonderful? Of course not. You'd think they'd joined a cult. Coming to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is always a spiritually transformative event. But depending on a person's background, it can also be a significant social change as well. For the Hindus, with things like their style of dress or their first name, or like the Jews to whom Paul was ministering who still practiced circumcision, these weren't sinful practices. There wasn't anything inherently wrong with what these people were doing. Coming to faith in a family or in a society who does not share that faith can be hard. It can be dangerous. I think of uh, Justin Cron from Chosen People Ministries who was visiting us a few weeks ago. Had the opportunity to have a meal with him after church. And one of the things we talked about was that it can be really difficult in a Jewish family, even a secular, non-practicing Jewish family, 
when one of their kids becomes a Christian. There can be tremendous pressure from within. The gospel is offensive to the world, and coming to faith has consequences. It's worth it, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And that's important to understand. Sometimes I think we can fall into the trap of expecting a person to just walk away from everything. When it isn't always necessary. Certainly we should encourage people and exhort people to turn from sin. But there are other parts of our lives that don't need to be changed. And one of the things that we will see throughout this passage is that Paul ministers differently to different groups. While this passage is not an exhaustive manual on how to do ministry, I do think that it is providing an important bedrock example of how we are to spread the good news of the love and forgiveness of Christ in our world. All things to all people. Sometimes that involves walking in someone else's shoes. Second point, being all things to people who are not under the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. The end of that verse really gets at the, the heart and the purpose. It's so that he might win those outside the law. It's so that he might bring people to Christ. When Paul says... Those outside the law, he's, he's contrasting non-Jewish people with Jewish people. Again, he's talking about different groups and how he ministers to different groups. I do think it's important when we read this passage to not get too rigidly focused on Jewish people or non-Jewish people. Because really it's about whichever group of people to whom we are interacting and ministering to. But in this passage, the Jewish people, they had the law of the Old Testament. The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, did not have the law. And Paul happily interacts with either group. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Paul would eat kosher in a Jewish setting, but had no qualms about having a pork chop either. He was all things to all people. Because Paul had something which superseded whether he followed the law of the Old Testament or not. Paul was under what he calls the law of Christ. And when he uses the phrase law of Christ, he's referring to the great command. The command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're committed to that and spreading the gospel... It is the law of Christ that matters. Loving people as an overflow of your love for God. In other words, we minister to those, we serve and love those who are far from God or who don't believe in God because we have love for them. I've talked about this before. It's not news. But our culture is becoming increasingly secular. According to Pew Research from a couple years ago, the silent generation, those born between 1928 and 1945, 85% are affiliated with Protestant or Catholic churches, compared to just 
57% of those born between 1981 and 89. Of those same groups, 11% of those born in the silent generation consider themselves to be atheist, agnostic, or no particular religion, compared to a third of those born between 1981 and 1989. Fewer people are going to church. Fewer people are growing up in church. And so the way we relate to different groups is not the same. People who are unchurched, who are biblically illiterate, is not the same as somebody who might not be particularly religious, but still has a background and familiarity with Christianity. Somebody who perhaps went through something like confirmation or CCD or has a background. Moralism and legalism can be hindrances to our relationships with people. Is that to say that we should be apathetic to sin in the world? Of course not. But following a bunch of rules is not what transforms souls. Just like we often make the the default mistake of thinking that our own relationship with God is based on how we live, how we perform, it's tempting to think the exact same thing for everyone else. And so it's easy to get preoccupied with what people do rather than what they believe. And I think that's a mistake that oftentimes Christians make. We lose sight of the fact that we are not trying to save people to a certain type of Christian behavior. Because no matter how someone lives, they are still dead in their sin apart from Jesus. It's not that we become better and then receive the gospel. It's that we believe in the gospel wherever we are, dead in our sin, and that true faith results in a life that bears fruit. It is coming to faith in the gospel and changing as a result of that faith. In the Gospels, the moralistic group who we most frequently see is the Pharisees. They were strict to the laws of the Old Testament. And in fact, to make sure that they didn't break those laws, they added other laws on top of the laws to protect the laws. The word Pharisee in Aramaic means separate ones. We do live in an increasingly secular world, but we are not called to be Pharisees. We aren't called to be separatists. Who were the groups from whom the Pharisees were separating? They separated from those outside their religious community. They separated from tax collectors who were hated in this culture. Tax collectors would basically rip people off. The Roman government had them collecting taxes and whatever extra they received is what their salary was. The Pharisees separated from the Samaritans. Samaritans were a group of people who uh, came about when the Israelites were in exile and they were half Jewish um, and, and so they weren't looked at as being authentically part of the community. They separated from them. They separated from lepers. That's what a separatist does. They separate. Yet throughout so much of his ministry, who are the people with whom Jesus is interacting? Tax collectors, Samaritans, lepers, outsiders, prostitutes. 
There are some biblical passages that people have tried to use to justify uh, being separate from society. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. But with that verse in the context of the passage, Paul is referring to participating in religious pagan services. With all of this talk of being all things to all people and ministering to different types of people, there is one very important thing to note. Being all things to all people does not excuse sin. And it does not come at the expense of sin. And being all things to all people, it is not saying that to uh, any debaucherous thing that your secular friend does, that you do the same. It doesn't mean that to the idolater you became idolatrous, or to the, the drunkard you became a drunk. It doesn't mean that to the angry you join them in their anger. It doesn't mean that to the person who is talking poorly about their spouse or their kids, that you join in and do the same thing about your own. No, we're called to holiness. In issues which are not matters of sin, however, we are to be all things to all people. And sometimes that means stepping outside our comfort zone. Sometimes that means having difficult conversations. A second scripture that people sometimes will use to justify being sort of separate or insulated. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When this text says that we are not to love the world, it does not mean that we aren't to love the people in the world. It's part of the greatest command. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Rather, it's about not loving the sinful ways of the world. And once again, our ultimate example is Jesus. He did not conduct himself by withdrawing from sinful people. He embraced them. You cannot remove yourself from a society and reach people with the gospel. I'm certainly not undermining Christian friends and Christian community. Because those are at the very bedrock of the Christian life. That's important too. But so are relationships with people who don't know Jesus. As we've already talked about with the law of Christ, we are commanded to love God and to love people. And because of that love for God, there is a desire to be obedient. Because of our love for people, there is a desire to see people coming to faith in the gospel. Part of the zeal for the mission of God and reaching the lost comes from a realization and an appreciation from where God has brought you. The greater we understand our own sin, the greater appreciation we have for the grace that God has given to us. The more clearly we see the righteousness And holiness of the Lord. We are called to reach people with the gospel. And in our approach to individual people, we are to be all things. 
Third group Paul talks about. Being all things to those in positions of weakness. Verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. When Paul talks about the weak, that might sound a bit insensitive to our sensibilities today. It's not politically correct. His main point is on the focus of people who are not really in great positions of of esteem or power in society. And Paul talks about desiring to reach those groups too. Becoming all things to all people. Again, Paul's eye in this passage is always on the prize. To the weak I became weak for the purpose of that I might win the weak. Part of what this looks like is not putting ourselves on a pedestal. Not thinking that we're better or more worthy than another. I think it can be a temptation for some Christians. Jesus came to earth as king of the universe, as the creator of all things. He is worthy of worship at all times. Yet he washed people's feet. He associated with the groups who no one else would. He submitted himself to the ultimate injustice and humility, to the ultimate lowering of himself by giving his life in exchange for sinners? How do we treat the poor and the uneducated? How do we look at those who struggle with substance abuse or who have been in prison? How do we look at those who have mental illness? Do we, above anything else, see them as people who are just as much in need for the grace of God as we are? Or in our heart of hearts, do we struggle with having contempt? Struggle by primarily thinking that their problems are largely their own fault. That they made the decisions. Do we think that someone else should worry about them? I realize that none of us can save the world. But there's a billion Christians in the world... And if you have an army of a billion all on the same mission to be all things to all people, to be God's hands and feet in the world, to spread the message of the gospel, incredible things can happen. Do you have anyone in your life you're actively witnessing to, sharing the gospel with, praying for their salvation, praying for the times where you talk to them? Praying for the gospel to take root in their life. Do you have anyone like that in your life? I'll be perfectly honest. It's not the easiest thing for me. Especially with somebody who's not a Christian. But there are times where we have to push ourselves and challenge ourselves. And again, step outside our comfort zone. We can be categorized in any number of ways. Gender, age, height, weight, education, family, hometown, faith. I think that part of being all things to all people includes loving people who are different as though they aren't. Every individual is unique, I realize. And of course, we need to know people for who they uniquely are. 
but out of a desire to enhance our love for others, not focusing on what makes a person different. Again, looking at people as all people who need the grace of God and who need the gospel. There's so much that can be said about this passage. I think there's so many insights just in these few verses for an overall philosophy of ministry. How do we become all things to all people? I don't think that there's one easy formulaic answer to that question. But based on studying this passage and thinking of this passage in the context of the Bible, I have five reflections of what it looks like to be all things to all people. First, we're called to love people. It's not a choice. It's non-negotiable. We're called to love people. We can't dismiss them. We can't dismiss opportunities to share the love of Christ or to think it's someone else's job to do. It's your job to do. It's serving something that is infinitely bigger than yourself. I used to wonder... Why has it been so long since Jesus died and rose? Why has it been 2,000 years? Maybe you've wondered that too. This isn't the only answer. But part of it is, is God's grace in the world to let the gospel message go forth. When a person comes to faith, why doesn't God just take them right then and there? Why doesn't he just take them to heaven? Again, it's a complicated answer to that question. But part of it is because while you're here, you have work to do. To be God's hands and feet in the world. To share his gospel. To love the people in the world. We encounter people in our daily lives who don't know Jesus. In our families, in our offices, in schools. We can't force it on someone. But to have a love for people. To tell them who Jesus is. Second principle. And being all things to all people, it's about building relationships. You can't be all things to all people without building relationships. It's getting to know people. The fact that Paul was ministering differently to different groups of people meant that he was actually knowing different groups of people. And sharing the gospel and sharing faith, it's so rarely about one conversation. It's about a relationship with a person. Part of the challenge of actually building a relationship is that it takes time. It takes more of an investment. One conversation isn't usually what leads a person to Christ. It can take years. And even then, there's no guarantee it'll even happen with any given person. And that's part of what, it takes, what makes it difficult. That it takes real work. Third, uh, how we relate to different people. People are different. People are not robots. It's not about finding a way to, to program everyone that you meet. 
That's not how Jesus did ministry. In John chapter 4, we'll be there in a couple months, Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman at a well. He knows that she's had multiple husbands and is essentially prostituting herself to another man. He shows grace. In Mark 8, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection to his disciples. Peter rebukes Jesus for saying such things. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells the Pharisees how the scriptures pointed to himself and how they don't recognize who he is because they don't truly understand the scriptures. In Luke chapter 8, in the face of a tremendous storm, out on the sea with his disciples, Jesus calms the storm and he asks his disciples, where is your faith? Different situations, different people, different ways Jesus approaches them. In other instances, he's asked a question and responds with a question. Or he responds with a parable to teach a point. We're not robots. Fourth point, in being all things to all people, you will do it imperfectly and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean it's not worth it. To use myself as an example, I mess up all the time. But don't let the fear of making a mistake keep you from doing ministry or from reaching out to people. God knows you're a mess. He knows you'll make mistakes. God works through broken people. Fifth point. I can't stress this one enough. Being all things to all people does not excuse our own sin. It's not meant to say that you can do whatever you want. It's about serving people. Serving God for his purposes. Paul actually uses servant-slave language at the beginning of this passage. And he's putting himself under the authority of God out of gratitude for the grace of God. In approaching how we go about all things to all people... While it's challenging, it should be done with a spirit of discernment. For how we go about doing this with individual people varies from person to person. Again, there's so much more that can be said about this topic because it is a very broad issue. Being all things to all people can look different. It can be the ways in which we interact with people, the ways we talk to people. Someone who's never been to church won't understand some of the the churchy language that is just familiar to us. Paul concludes the passage in verses 22 and 23 by saying, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Again, Paul keeps his eye on the prize. He continually in this passage goes back to the purpose for why he's all things to all people. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. It won't work for everyone. It won't always bear fruit. There will be setbacks and frustrations. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, for spreading the good news 
for having a sincere desire to see souls and lives transformed by the gospel. Having a desire to reach people in the world and in the community. He knew he wasn't going to save everyone. We're to love people, even if they're unlovable, and be all things to all people. Because we have a Savior who loved us. He met us where we were. In the mire of sin, he pulled us up. And out of his goodness and grace, he gives us the chance to pass that good news on to others. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, may we have hearts that are broken for the brokenness of the world, the sin of the world, but more than anything, Lord, the the faithlessness of the world, a world that opposes you and opposes your gospel. Lord, may we have people in our own lives who we can directly interact with and relate to, who don't know you, and share the love of your gospel, Lord. May we bear fruit in that. In Jesus' name, amen.